Hey everybody, welcome to our very first Lost episode. And by Lost, I mean we recorded it a while ago and I forgot that we had done it. So we went ahead and did a workshop on this subject and you don't really have the context to go with it. So without further ado, I'll give you our NPC types. That way the NPC workshop that we did makes a little bit more sense. Hope you enjoy. Today we'll be discussing various types of NPCs, which ones require stat blocks, which need backstories of their own, and how to turn up the heat on your encounters. Welcome to Dueling GMs, I'm Joseph. And I'm Anthony. This is a show for GMs and players. One about designs and details. To build a better role-playing community. So let's dive into types. Uh, what are some categories for NPCs? Uh, and when do we want to make stat blocks for them? Well, this kind of came up when we were talking about what makes a good NPC in the first place. And I was starting to kind of categorize these out and realize we had a fair number of, of breakdowns. Um, I started jotting them down and we started looking at them and we realized, hey, there's probably something to this. And well, this particular episode was was born. So let me run you down the list so you know kind of where we're headed and then we can talk about them more in detail. Is that probably easiest approach? Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So we've got mobs. We have monsters. Champions. A nemesis. A legend. And then finally, a deity. Okay, that's quite the list. Let's uh, let's break it down. All right, so mobs are the the easiest uh, starting point. These are uh, weak. These are compared to the PCs in the party. They're under leveled. This is kind of the classic rip and tear. Um, you can just kind of mow through them. Um, a, a good example would be if you're uh, kind of approaching a uh, camp and you know there's something deeper in the cave but in order to get through the cave you have to uh take out a cave of uh, well goblins right uh maybe you're a higher level crew a lot of times the gm is trying to figure out well i that's kind of a waste of time uh if you're xp based the the players are sitting there rubbing their hands thinking oh free xp right uh, how do you balance that and so the gm often so they don't get bogged down in just a boring fight uh just takes that out of the encounter completely if it's an adventure path maybe you over leveled in the adventure whatever the case is and so uh, a lot of times we don't end up facing under leveled creatures uh, so mobs are a good way of handling that while still making the characters feel um like they have excelled beyond maybe they started out fighting goblins and struggled maybe they lost a party member to goblins early on and now to come back to fight them and we're like oh well i can kind of push them in the forehead and they topple over now yeah. um so there's a there's a purpose for for them um just to be able to mow through 30 of them in just you know one or two actions just makes you feel godlike on your own right um yeah. 
but I know there's probably also some some downsides to that. So it's probably already what you're what you're thinking. What's what's a good big downside to having? I mean, a mod? the first the first thing I'm thinking of is just it's going to slow down encounters. You know, that combat now you got 30, 30 goblins in this example. Like, oof, that's a lot of rolling. That's a lot of all right. just rolling initiative is going to take you 10 <laughs> yeah, minutes, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so. There's a uh, there's a couple different approaches you can use to to mobs, and I don't know whether you want to talk about that now or or later. Let's talk about it now. Okay. Um, well, there's there's a number of uh, possible approaches, but I guess I would be remiss if I didn't start with the things that are already included in the Dungeon Master's Guide, because um, most people don't really know that they exist. Um, including including dungeon masters uh so they have a section in uh, optional combat uh, that is called cleaving through creatures which i think is kind of fun uh it says if your player characters regularly fight hordes of lower level monsters consider using this optional rule to speed up fights and if you're a a dm like me you see speed up fights you're like yes please um so this optional rule just says if you uh, melee attack redu- reduces an undamaged creature. So if they start at full health and you knock them down to zero hit points completely, then any excess damage from that attack might carry over to another creature nearby. Which is kind of nice. Uh, you, yeah. you have a goblin that's got six hit points, seven hit points, and your attack does 23 damage. Well, it would make sense that you cleave straight through them and you continue swinging and you might take out another one. Uh, so it continues, the attacker targets another creature within reach, and if the original attack roll can still hit it, so again, you don't have to roll again, does you know does a 24 hit? Yes, it does. The 24 hits the next one. Yes, it does. So you continue applying remaining damage. So I said seven hit points on the creature, 23 damage. Okay, well, the second one's dead. That's 14 points. If that creature was undamaged and is likewise reduced to zero hit points, repeat the process. Carrying it over until there's no more targets or until the damage that's left doesn't reduce it to zero. That would definitely speed it up. Right. So that 23, you know, on on the damage is going to take out, uh, what, three creatures in a single swing. Yeah. And if I'm doing 23 points of damage, that probably means I'm attacking at least twice in combat. There's a good chance if I do something like that again, I could take out six of these little goblins in one action. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, given, given that optional role, I think that definitely makes the uh, martial classes feel a little bit more useful compared to AoE spells. Right. Um, you know, It almost definitely... gives you an AoE feel exactly. in the right situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. The other option, uh, it's a little bit more math based, but I think it's a good way to handle uh, the flip side of this. What if those 20 goblins all run up to you, surround you and try to attack you? Technically, your armor class is relatively high. And if you're going to actually roll for all those attacks, unless you're doing, you know, something that's like digital base and you just roll 20 D20s uh-huh. and then you apply the modifiers or whatever, it's going to take a long time. And even then to make sure that you didn't miss anything along the way, it's going to take a while. So there's actually a chart 
um, in the Dungeon Master's Guide on handling mobs. Um, and the chart just has two columns. One says D20 roll needed, and the other column says attackers needed for one of those to hit. Uh, the okay. example that they give is eight orcs surrounding a fighter. Their attack bonus is plus five. The fighter's armor class is 19. So the orcs need a 14 or higher to hit the fighter. So 14 plus five is 19, which is a hit, right? Tracking so far? Yep, yep. So, and then it says, according to the table, so if you follow all the way down, there's a 13 or a 14. Then you look over to the side and it says three attackers needed for one of them to hit. So for every three orcs that attack, one of them hits. And there's eight orcs. And so uh, two are going to hit. And then the last two fail to hit. But if there was a ninth orc, the assumption would be that a third orc would hit. And so rather than rolling, you just kind of almost take the law of averages here. And so if there's eight orcs, you don't even have to roll. You just say eight orcs attack a single fighter. And uh, based on your armor class, based on their bonus, two of them hit. I'm going to roll for damage on both of those. And you can simplify even that because all of the monsters have stat blocks that include an average damage. Yeah, that's true. Now, you know, would, would it make, I mean, that would speed it up to just use the averages as well with that. Um, is that what you usually do for HP then for these mobs or again, just to speed things up or do you give them variations and I tend to never vary, uh, the hit points of creatures that I am going to include multiples of, um, the only time that I tweak hit points is if I have a, and we'll get to better descriptions here in a second with the different types. But if I'm going to have a creature that maybe is technically over leveled, I might lower the hit points and give it a reason why like it's a weaker form of that monster or do the opposite and come up with a, a monster that maybe is a more powerful version of something that has a weaker stat block. That's really the only time that I tweak the hit points. Um, But I certainly it's, it's way too much to track for me to say you've got, Four, four wolves that are attacking the party. One of them has 30 hit points. One has 24. One has, yes, technically, just like in a party, their constitution may be slightly different, but that's just way too much to track. Yeah, and, and like we said, I mean, mobs is about quantity, but you also want to try to not have it slow down everything. Right, uh, so yeah. That makes sense to have them all, you know, pretty much the same, and it's easier to keep track of both as a GM and for players if they're, you know, yeah. like like you said, with that cleaving optional rule, like, okay, I know what it takes to kill so many. I can help the GM say, right, well, you know, 23 damage, I'm killing two, and the last one has, you know, one one hit point left. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, the other option here that's not included in the, the Dungeon Master's Guide, but I thought was worth mentioning is... Um, we have lots of stat blocks that have uh, there's a some sort of like vampiric mosquito and then there's another stat block for uh, vampiric mosquito swarm, right? We've got a, a rat and then we've got a swarm of rats and all of the swarms include uh, different types of damage based on the amount of hit points that are left. So that's another way you could approach a mob is instead of having a stat block for a single creature or having multiple stat blocks for that single creature, you could instead choose to put them together into a mob, into a swarm of that type of creature, 
boost the hit points, um, do the same thing with the swarm and have them resistant because you're kind of mowing through a bunch of them. Uh, so descriptively, you're not you're killing a bunch. But in terms of the creature and the stat block, the whole creature isn't dead until everybody in the mob is dead. Uh, but okay. then also, if you've taken it down to less than half of the, you know, the starting hit points, you've killed half of the mob, then their damage output is drastically decreased, just like you would see in the other swarm stat blocks. That's yeah, another that approach sense. that would, you know, kind of speed things up quite a bit because in terms of creatures and initiatives and how many actions are being taken, it's only once. Uh, right. And even though you might have described it as having 50 of them in this big swarm, they're only taking one action. They're, you know, only have one hit point, one initiative to track. And so that's one option also. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, I guess in terms of how like how detailed you want the how you want it to like look, you know, like 10, you know, humanoids that are medium size, all fitting in a single square might lose a little bit of uh you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, the, the realism the, isn't quite the, there. The realism. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But we could also list them as a large creature. True. And so now it's a 10 by 10. Uh, and yeah. so it's 20 foot area, right? Yeah. With uh, them all square footage. Yeah. Time. They, they could squeeze together quite a bit. And you know, most bedrooms are, are not quite 10 by 10. And you can fit quite a few people in an empty bedroom if you really wanted to. Yeah. Awesome. When, when do you think is a good time to choose a swarm versus, um, you know, the, these mobs or. I, I think uh, if you, I can think of two opposite sides of the coin here. If you want the PCs to feel very powerful and you want them to feel like uh, for one reason or the other, that they're, mowing through the enemy maybe it's to bolster their confidence maybe it's to make them feel like they're um they're getting much much better maybe it's to slowly whittle down some of their spells so that when you know the the big boss comes out they've used up spell slots they've used up some of their abilities churning through these mobs feeling very proud of themselves um that makes sense the other approach though is just as important if you're using these mob types of rules, when the big bad evil guy, the BBEG comes in and invades a town, you have stats and mob rules for when the invading demons start to sweep through the town and kill commoners. They're going to do the same thing. And now the mob is the people that you're trying to defend or the people who, uh, if you listen to our living versus pause the world, the people who you didn't show up for in time. And again, you can kind of have those scenarios playing out on the side if you needed to do that real time. Um, but it doesn't take, you know, carry the one, let me roll this. And the rest of the, the party is waiting for the GM to be done with all the NPCs turn. And it takes you 20 minutes every time and they've fallen asleep or they're checking Facebook or whatever. You can still kind of have that going on on the side, but now the party are uh, their parties in the seat of the defenders trying to protect the mobs from the overpowered creatures. That makes sense. I think another example I'm thinking of would be like, um, having, 
you know, whether it's uh, enemy or ally uh, army forces, right? You can have a unit, a cavalry unit, uh, you know, a, a spell singing uh, unit, just uh, footmen units, and having three units uh, with a certain, you know, challenge rating for each is a lot better to deal with, in my opinion. So a swarm of those um, than, you know, 10, 20 per unit. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of the games that that we play, whether it's tabletop or even video games, they don't want to necessarily force you to be in the middle of a giant, widespread, massive battle because either the game engine can't handle it, or the game system can't handle it, or your game master can't handle it. Right, so right. they're they're kind of relegated to we're going to have this fight on the side, and now the party has to always be the black ops team right to do the secret invasion and every single tactical scheme that you come up with is basically relegated to we're going to have a full frontal assault on the gate we know we're going to fail but we're going to hopefully distract them so you can do your thing mm, exactly. right and so yeah what what you're describing gives you the opportunity to actually be in the middle of this widespread fight um it allows people who are tactically minded um because you inevitably we'll have some of those in the group to help figure out how to send entire squadrons over here. And we need a cavalry unit over in this direction. And it, it opens up the door for a lot of really cool strategic thinking because you're in the middle of a gigantic war instead of always playing the black ops, you know, wet works team. Right. Right. So it definitely gives a little bit of variety. So that's a, a good, you know, you know, extra, uh, you no, know, gives a little bit more options to the GM. Yeah. Uh, without still having to be like, all right, well, every third creature and there's, you know, 10 left and let me just keep rolling some dice. Like all the players are going to be just waiting around, and, you know. Right. And you, you still have the opportunity to uh, introduce some of these other creature types that we're going to talk about in the middle of these things. And maybe, uh, maybe the fighter or the warrior or somebody who seems kind of, more inclined to uh like we said take advantage of those combat uh optional combat variations right and just keeps mowing through everything to clear the battlefield and then a couple of the party members start to focus on the higher level mini bosses um and, and then that's a good way for the gm to kind of spread the party out and uh even up the action economy without it seeming like you just have to throw you know the kitchen sink at them yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so what, what's another, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, monsters, uh, what, uh, let's, let's jump into that one. Yeah. So next group monsters just by definition is, you know, what we're going to find in the monster manual in Xanathar's guide, a whole bunch of these other types of things that have come out. Or again, if you're the non D and D type, uh, pick your poison or create your own, right? Uh, yeah. the, these are creatures, though, or NPCs that are designed to be at the level that they're originally written. Um, maybe even at the character's level, um, if you're so inclined to create a singular NPC uh, that you know is able to stand up, you know, to to them. Um, but you're going to have uh, mostly whatever the stat block says. You just go with the stat block. Um, these are going to be in terms of uniqueness 
the most generic thing that you've got in your particular session. Uh, and that's a good, a good thing and a bad thing because not everything has to tie into the story. Uh, but that also means not everything has to have hours and hours of intricate detail put into, um, you know, just to, to make it fun or interesting for the players. Sometimes it's it's fun just to go into a camp of orcs to try to acquire some information information that they stole. And I don't really know why. I don't really know a whole lot about them, but I know my you know, my character doesn't like orcs, so I'm going to fight the orcs or to come across a, a cavern full of mind flayers. Right. And so we have immediately this idea of what a mind flayer is, what a mind flayer might do, whether it's in character or meta knowledge out of character. Uh, we don't need to have a whole lot built out for us and they don't necessarily need to be changed or tweaked in any way. A mind flayer is devastating enough on its own. Right. Um, so so that's going to be kind of your standard encounter, your standard fights along the way most of your fights that you have or if it's a social encounter even you kind of play it as written um and, and so most of your combat most of your encounters are going to be monster related um so that's kind of your baseline i guess yeah, that makes sense um you know it's you don't have to you know homebrew anything you just grab something that suits you and fits the level and boom you're ready to go yeah I think that if you're going to come up with a purpose for that, um, it's to continue to allow the people who are more uh, combat oriented, more action oriented to give them something to fight, something to overcome uh, without having to spend a lot of extra time developing it. Uh, because there are people who are you know, more devoted and paid far better than us who are spending their time just writing these monster manuals. So we might as well make use of the cool stuff they give us. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, uh, you know, GMs don't have, like you said, all the time, uh, you got to choose your, uh, choose your time wisely when building encounters, building the story, you know, building everything right uh so you gotta gotta make sure that you have the time to do things and if you don't always have the time then perhaps you know focusing on the at level monsters that already exist is is the way to go as that's a definitely a good purpose and kind of a meta purpose if you will yeah uh, and i guess it's important to uh, we said at level but it could it i want to differentiate this doesn't necessarily mean that you never throw something at uh, a party that's above their level um, sometimes the party oh, sure. is, is really well built and uh, really well optimized. And so you need to throw something hard at them. But when we say at level here with the monsters, we're saying don't tweak them. Don't don't give them extra abilities because they're just a monster. At the end of the day, they're just kind of a throwaway thing that helps you get from point A to point B or helps you kind of uncover the location of the MacGuffin, what, whatever is going on. The monsters themselves don't matter as much as the story that's being told and the monsters get in the way of the story. Uh, right. So you don't have to less necessarily tweak anything. So when we say at level here, that's what we mean is at level for what they're written for. Right. The, the, the creature is at level, but, not the encounter necessarily. Right. 
Yeah, your your level seven, level eight uh, PCs feel free to throw that CR twelve, you know, uh, dragon, you know, young young dragon, adult dragon, whatever you want to throw at them, they'll be able to handle it. So don't, yeah, don't feel like, oh well, the the GM guys said that you know throw throw level Mm -hmm. monsters at them. Now we'll we'll talk about encounter building later, but that's not for today. Yeah, this is just, you know, flip open the, the monster manual and boom, the stat block there that you choose is what you work with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it so easy for these to also be used for if you're the type of GM or the type of group that likes to use random encounters. Don't go with mobs uh, that'll bog you down. Potentially use those for a purpose and don't go with any heavily homebrewed tweaked creatures along the way. Random encounters use random monsters. Just go with what's written. Cool. Nice. So now, next we have the champion, right? Yeah. So what what makes a champion a champion? What makes it different than just the monsters that you find in the monster manual? So many of the the cool stories that we've participated in, uh, maybe the video games we play. You can even think of maybe your favorite flavor of. Uh, television show or movie uh there's a moment where there's a fight that happens and then suddenly all eyes turn because somebody shouts or somebody appears and it's the big guy right uh, they may show up as as some sort of ogre that like bursts through the door and kills three or four of his own allies because he's too stupid but also too powerful to stop himself that type of thing or maybe they step in and there's just this roar of triumph and everybody runs away in terror the the dragon comes swooping in at this point right in the middle of the fight and just kind of blows a plume of uh, fire and smoke uh whatever the case is that's that's when you know the champion has showed up and everybody kind of is forced to pay attention to, to that. Right. Okay. Um, and, and so mechanically we differentiate that as a, a GM um, by potentially taking the very same monster that they're fighting, but now we soup them up a little bit. You could take something as lowly as a little goblin guy and then say, well, this guy is the foreman of the goblin mining team. And so he has additional abilities. He's stronger, he's beefier, he does more damage. And so we can increase the hit points. We can maybe uh, increase the die of damage they roll. Maybe instead of a D6, they're rolling 2D6. There's ways to increase the damage types. And then we also start to introduce legendary actions. Um, Now, again, we go to the monster manual and we see that there are a number of creatures who already have legendary actions built in. Those are examples, good examples of champions that we can already pick from. Uh, they, they have a little bit more backstory. If you go and read the description, there's a reason why they exist and there's, there's a little bit more oomph to them. Um, so you can start to add legendary actions. You can start to uh, maybe you've, come across them in their own home base. And so you can start to inject lair actions, which are a nice fun addition. If you've never used lair actions, please do. Uh, and, and you can even start to maybe give them legendary resistances. Uh, and all of those you can, because you're tweaking this 
uh, maybe they only get a single legendary resistance, or maybe they only have two legendary actions total for the day. You can, they don't have to be overpowered, but something that makes everybody both uh, friend and foe take a look at this person and say, that's the guy we need to take down. And if we focus fire on this person, maybe the entire encounter will end. Sure. Yeah. Like perhaps the battle will be decided with this, uh, you know. Right. If we if we kill the goblin foreman, all the other goblins might throw down their weapons and run away screaming. We don't really know. Yeah. So, yeah, you have this uh, individual that, you know, the the battle, uh, you know, continues around, but uh, the camera, you know, of course, focuses on them, so to speak, Um, you know, uh, you mentioned, you know, legendary actions, HP. I mean, you can even just boost AC too. And, sure. you know, you don't have to Similar necessarily... Similar thing, but it's wearing plate mail. That yeah. changes things right there, right? right. You, you had the, the foreman has, you know, uh, you know, has this tough armor that just, you know, all of a sudden now you're, you're swinging, you're trying and, and nothing's happening. Like, oh boy. But when you do, you still feel successful, but it's also daunting whenever you it's a miss. It's a miss. It's like, Oh right, boy, this right. guy's well armored for sure. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so what would be like, you know, we, we kind of focus on the purpose there. Is there anything else like example wise that you would have for an NPC without, you know, totally shadowing the, uh, you know, the party. Uh, you're looking for another, another example. Another example on the non-enemy side of things. Ah, okay. So, so potential ally. Potential um, ally. Yeah. So, if you're if you're in town, you're investigating uh, maybe a string of murders in town. You maybe get the guard involved, um, and that's potential mob, potential monsters, depending on how you build them out. But the guard captain, maybe he uh, in this particular town is strong enough, powerful enough. Uh, fits the bill for being a champion. And so maybe you've brought him along because he knows the catacombs in the city really well. And so he's kind of being your guide. Maybe he's brought a crew of soldiers with him. And so some of the things you give him, not only you want him to survive the encounter, at least, you know, without just fudging the dice rolls too much. Hopefully he survives the encounter where the, the other soldiers, the other guards kind of the red shirt throwaways, right? So we want to boost his hit points a little bit. We want to boost his damage output output because there's a reason why he's the captain, but then maybe you start to give him some legendary actions where on his turn, he can start barking out orders and uh, have the, have the guard line up in formation. Or he can uh, use a, a legendary action to allow one of his allies to take an extra attack. You can start to uh, maybe he he gives inspiration to his uh, fellow guards mates or anybody within a certain aura range of his uh, gets a, a bonus to their to hit. But if they leave the aura, then they're uh, vulnerable to fear or something like that. You can build a lot of those things in um, as an ally as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, without taking the spotlight off the, uh, you know, the actual uh, characters, the, you know, the party characters, uh, having a ally that has legendary actions to help or aid or assist and others are kind of contributing um, or makes the party, you know, stronger. 
uh, is kind of a good way of saying, all right, this guy knows what he's doing to the point where now we feel good about ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you can build a stat block for them without feeling like you have to have an entire character sheet. And so uh, you're almost making a sidekick for the party for a period of time, but maybe a sidekick that has some legendary actions. And so it has the capability of doing a few things the party can't do, but at the same time, at the end of the day, still has a very basic stat block uh, that you don't have to spend as much time developing as you would a full PC. Yeah. And don't, uh, uh, I was just thinking like brainstorming idea, like don't ever, uh, disregard magic for non-magic characters like that, you know, encouraging roar might be a less effect for the party. Exactly. No, it's not magic. You know, like it doesn't have to be all, all or nothing when it comes to magic. You could have that captain guard say, you know, we can do this. We got this. Uh, you know, let's, let's give them hell boys. And, uh, you know, everyone's feeling good about themselves now with just, you know, all around attacks, uh, uh, saving throws, etc. So even something like that being a a rally cry, but it working like healing word. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of ways you can reflavor lots of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, you know, that's, that's the champion. Uh, the next one you talked about was, or mentioned was the, the nemesis. Uh, how does, what is that? And we'll just go into that one. The, the nemesis is interesting because at the surface, it's not very different from a champion. Okay. Um, the way it would differentiate a champion from a nemesis is what you spend the most time developing as a GM. For a champion, you probably want to have uh, cool abilities, cool stat blocks, something that will be memorable for a brief moment of time, right? Uh, the the ogre that comes barreling through, the the enemy commander or the guard captain that we just talked about, uh, that that somebody said, oh, that was kind of cool. It spiced up the combat. It it made it more enjoyable, or maybe we thought we had it well in hand and then the champion showed up and then we thought we were all going to die. And so you kind of kick up the heat a little bit on, on the combat. So you're focused a little bit more on the stats and the abilities with the champion where the nemesis that almost in my mind comes second because the nemesis is where we start to actually build in those types of champions that are innately tied to the story itself or the characters within the story. There's something that is personal about a nemesis or uh, maybe the less like negative term of of a rival, right? Uh, So you could have a friendly rivalry, but you still have something. uh, We were joking uh, a minute ago that Gary is the nemesis of Ash in Pokemon, right? It doesn't mean that Gary's an evil guy, but since Ash is the protagonist, that means Gary is the antagonist. So we can still have a little bit of a friendly, semi-ally type of of rivalry there. So you can have a positive spin on that too. But nemesis just kind of works as a a nice, gritty-sounding description. Um, But this is where you spend the majority of your time figuring out what is this person's personality? What motivates them and what 
happened in their life, in their history to make them the person that they are now? And why is their personal connection or disconnect from somebody in the party or the entire party? Is it a previous monster minion, even, you know, a, a, a mob member that escaped that now has sworn revenge on the party? Is it somebody that's mentioned in passing from somebody's backstory when they, they created their character that, that there's somebody out there that I wronged or that I owe money to. And now the GM has decided to build that in as a part of the, the story arc. And so now they have a built in nemesis. So now we need to have a lot more understanding of their personality, who they are, what motivates them. And the stat block matters a lot less because we want them to kind of be a recurring thorn in the side for the characters for a while. Eventually there may be a fight or a social encounter, maybe a trial, maybe uh, something that, that pits one versus the other in a duel of wits, something along those lines. So eventually you're going to need stats for them, but the majority of your time building a nemesis should be on the personality side of things, not on the stat side of things. Outside of that, they're very, very similar in purpose and in use to the champion. It's to ratchet things up just a little bit, but in this case, it's to better the story where the champion is to better the fight. Gotcha. Yeah, you were uh, talking about the rival, and like I was thinking, you know, you have uh, like a student and another student, you know, to the same sensei, and you know, you guys have the same kind of upbringing, uh, whether that's, you know, thievery or swordsmanship, but you're always that, you know, that not classic shonen style uh, character, but close. You know, you have that other person that has maybe a little bit more of the spotlight, you know, does quests a little bit better, or gets paid a little bit more because, you know, whatever reason that might be, you know, but you're always second to them, right? You know, that's a, a, and yet they could have a, a great personality and that might be what makes you even more jealous of them. Um, sure. You know, but, you know, having that rival uh, definitely makes for, you know, a good story uh, elements there uh, without being like, oh, we're going to have to make these stats ASAP because the party are, you know, the, the members are a bunch of murder hobos. <laughs> right. Hopefully that's, hopefully yeah. that's not the case, but, you know, um, oh, you know, don't, don't, always give them an option to be murder hobos, you know, have right meet, meet in court or meet at a, a fancy gala of sorts where there's a bunch of guards and, you know, no, no hope if they started into a fight, but just bring them up, you know, bring them into the interactions, have them be the reason for, uh, you know, not getting certain, you know, quests because someone better and, you know, came around and did it first. And so, you know, again, going back to the living world, this is a great opportunity to be like, well, you missed that quest because someone else took it. Who was that? Oh, it was your rival. And they're talking about it. And they got here a couple of days ago when you were asked to show up. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you don't always need to uh, have as much uh, stat stuff uh, details for the nemesis. But if you do, a champion probably is a good fit. Um, 
like you said, you've hopefully built them up enough beforehand uh, or just throughout the story that when they do get into some sort of encounter, it's worth it and more victorious feeling when they succeed and yeah. get past their their, yeah. their rival or nemesis. So, yeah, that makes sense. Now, um, a, an important distinction here is that a nemesis doesn't have to be the big bad evil guy but it absolutely can be and you can maybe consider it um because sometimes we build the bbeg to be a really souped up champion it's the it's the boss fight at the end of a dungeon and even though we're kind of building a story we still almost develop our bbegs in that way you've uncover the story you get to the last bit of the last chapter and you find the the villain in their lair waiting for you i've been waiting all this time and there's the inevitable fight and the end you defeat the the basically the souped up champion and you don't really get a whole lot of a peek into what motivated them to do the things they did why were they so determined to stop the uh the pcs or on the flip side why were the pcs so determined to stop the villain because we built them more as a mechanical champion rather than like a nemesis and so while a nemesis doesn't have to be your evil villain um and it makes it for a really cool story if there's a nemesis that's kind of unwittingly or intentionally thwarting you from stopping the evil villain it, it also it makes for a good story every once in a while. If the villain is the nemesis that's been there all along and you've seen the progression, you've seen them maybe level up alongside you. And because you didn't put a stop to it before, now they're overpowered and now you have to put an end to it. There's a lot of ways to turn a nemesis into the villain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you could probably even, you know, do that with, um, you know, allies that, you've had as well not necessarily rivals but just other npcs that you know you you might have helped train personally or with them um and then they decide to kind of not outshine you but they make that well why aren't i the king why you know why am i not the the person that you know let's rally behind me and now the PCs, uh, you know, had that kind of friendliness and, and allyness, but now it's turning rival nemesis, you know, it's turning sour fast. And you just, it's like, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. We, we got ourselves a different story than we expected, but here we are. Right. Right. So awesome. Uh, all right. Uh, I think the next one was Legend. Yeah. So Legend is, is interesting um, because Legend is going to probably require a lot of research you may go to the library or go to a bard to uncover more information about a legend rather than somebody you know you know sally down the street giving you directions to his house um right there there's more like store and uh, story and lore uh being kind of spilled out over the years maybe this individual or this creature hasn't been seen for hundreds or thousands of years but legend says if you go to this particular forest on this particular month during a full moon then the creature shows up 
And so there's a lot of mythology behind it. And uh, the story then uh, unfolds as to how much of this is made up, how much of this is accurate. And based on the stories that I've heard, if I follow the instructions, am I going to encounter this NPC? And again, that could be evil or good. It could be an ally or it could be an, an antagonist. But legend, a lot of that has more to do with with lore and mythology and maybe this person can grant a wish maybe it's if you follow these particular steps you're going to uncover a genie that can grant a wish maybe it's uh somebody who has the ability to uh, mend the sword that was broken and only one person is able to do it and i don't even know if they still exist you have those types of uh, quests. So legends a lot of times are NPCs that are introduced uh, again as either good or bad waypoints for the characters to try to find in order to um, further the story. And so legends sometimes don't even require a stat block at all because it's almost a, a means to continue the story in a really cool flavorful way. Um, that you can spend a lot more time diving into the mystery and the investigation and even step into the survival pillar of of things. And you have to climb this mountain and you have to survive for three days without food before they show up. You can build all of those things. And, and sometimes a legend doesn't require a single written down bit of stats whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, you could probably just have the personality and, and, be done for most of that uh, i mean you could always you know have a few defaults in, in your back pocket um but does that uh does a legend need to be like on par with a champion or just a, a any monster if you were to stat block it or you know are we trying to have that build up uh as you as the players discover lore and and try to you know uncover the mysteries of this individual uh you know you you know me pretty well and you know that i like to subvert expectations sure yeah um if i were to stat block out a legend i would probably have multiple variations okay um it may be that one particular story describes them as a crippled blind beggar and so the description here and i can look at the stats and say well they don't seem to have any fighting capabilities you know and and describe them that way maybe that's true maybe that's not but if i have that kind of written down on the sheet that's one avenue of the story and maybe another version of the story says that uh they um used to be this very powerful almost demi god and they've lost their capabilities over time and they're trying to gain them back and so they're in a period of intense meditation and so you go to this particular temple on a hill you can find them uh, but if you disrupt them and they don't like what you have to say they're going to attack you and expect them to fight you on par with your level 
Um, you know, you could approach it like that. And so you have a different stat block, at least for reference purposes. And then maybe another story still describes them as all powerful and they squirrel themselves away because they realize the harm they could do to them to themselves and others. And you don't want to mess with them at all. We have this super powerful quasi deity type of stat block. And then who knows if the characters really decide to push the envelope, track down the legend, uh, who knows, depending on how they interact with the legend and whether they provoke it in some way. Well, I've got multiple stat blocks out here that I can subvert expectations and either go full in with the fight if they seem to be taking advantage of them or if they uh, seem to be going in all souped up and overpowered. And then I present them with, you know, the blind crippled beggar person. And what are you going to do? Are you going to kill the blind guy? Or are you going to sit there and talk to, you know, talk to them? Um, right. So you have lots of ways to approach it. I would, I would have the legend be as open as possible and as loose as possible, but probably have different variations depending on the paths that the players chose to get to them. But at the same time, I would also do my best to avoid combat with them for the same reason that I would for the next group that we're going to get to soon. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the next one is uh, deity. Yeah. So uh, deity hopefully uh, doesn't need much description on their own. Uh, most every setting that you're going to play in has some sort of pantheon of gods, goddesses, um, maybe minor and major deities, uh, lesser deities, whatever the, that you may call them. Maybe it's a singular deity for your particular campaign that you're running and anything else are considered false gods, whatever setting that you play in. There is some sort of like upper echelon, right? Um, and the other thing that you usually see uh, in conjunction with these deities is zero stat blocks ever. There is a singular example I can think of where that's not true in your standard D&D books. Who is that? I mean, I'm well, I, I keep thinking of like avatars in my head. Okay, um, so avatars are a different flavor. Let's talk about yeah. that in a second. The only okay. example I can think of in any of at least the D&D 5th edition books uh, that has a stat block for a deity is Tiamat. Hmm. and Girl. that's after playing through almost a like level one through level you know 16 17 uh two-part adventure path on trying to stop these dragon cults from bringing tiamat back it's included in the stat uh in, in this final fight if you don't jump through all of the right hoops and do all the things to stop this ritual from happening and they happen to bring tiamat back then you get to fight a weakened form of TMI where they even take a whole bunch of their actions and, and abilities and legendary actions to continue eating the followers that summoned her. Like yeah. it's, it's an intentionally uh, very weak uh, it, because it just got resummoned. It's trying to regain its energy, which is why it's eating the followers to, to get its health back. But at the same time, then it's intentionally taking away the action economy for the creature because 
if you were to actually fight Tiamat at full strength, you probably still wouldn't survive it, which is kind of the point with the deities in general and why they're not included. Because if we know anything about murder hobo parties, if it's got a stat block, that means you can kill it. Right. Yeah. So the best way to avoid that is to not stat it at all. And the implication there for both GM and party is you can't touch this thing. Don't try. Don't try. They will treat you like you did the goblin and flip you in the forehead and you will incinerate. Yeah, right. The, uh, you, you try to swing. It doesn't matter. You rolled a natural 20 and you have a plus 15 modifier. You still miss. Yeah. Your, uh, your team on example reminds me of like in certain video games when you, after you beat the super hard boss, they become a companion <laughs> and, and the companion is like the weakest version of it. And you're like, you're like, why didn't I let you come along? Yeah. Right. Like why bother? Yeah. It's like, okay. It might still be a challenge for sure. I mean, we can DD still a DD, but it, it, that's just what it reminded me of. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. So then the avatar is where that comes into play. Uh, and, and the avatar is the uh, sometimes described as a physical embodiment of a deity, especially if the deities are kind of really far away and not accessible. Um, maybe an avatar is somebody who has been infused with the ability or the spirit. Maybe they're sharing a body, that type of thing with, uh, with the deity. But the implication there is always that it's a weakened form because it only has some of the deity's power. And okay. so uh, depending on what type of avatar you choose to go with, you could still build them as a champion or a nemesis or even a legend sure. in association with this deity. It's just the way that you flavor it and the abilities that you give them uh, or the personalities that you give them need to be closely tied in with that deity because it's it's really going to be the closest approximation should there be a fight or should there be social encounters it's closest approximation to uh, what would uh, what would bane do right or or uh, what would the everlight do right and so you're kind of personifying them in a small way but they're more humanized and they're more tangible uh, than the actual deity would be Deities really should be uh, reserved for um, big revelatory moments or granting of abilities or warnings uh, and not for like hands-on combat related stuff that just becomes too either too overpowered if you use them as an ally or sure. too problematic if you really want to introduce your party as god killers. Now I say that, and even as I'm thinking this, the one ex uh, the one uh, example I would give that maybe you would want to play that is if you're having a campaign that's based on something like God of War, or that's the entire point, right? right? Right. But at that point, you're probably dumbing down the concept of the deity because your character itself is a deity, and so everything is kind of super heightened. And if everything's super heightened, then you're okay to super lower it. Yeah. Just or like knowing a, that all the little people now are mobs, but the things that you face instead are probably at your level. Right. Or you have like a God killing device, uh, you know, weapon. Right. Uh, right. You know, something that specifically targets them. 
Um, uh, something else that I, I've seen in, in certain games is like the avatar is just like a, a physical representation of, you know, some, you know, higher deity and killing them enough times actually impacts the deity itself. Um, sure. Almost you know, like so, a, a Horcrux. Like a yeah, exactly. Uh, so like you can get some version of a weakened god only because you've whittled it down uh, in various ways. You know, you have that god killing weapon. You have defeated uh, multiple avatars, and you've you know d- desecrated their you know followers to a degree. Then it's like, well, you know, what's left? You know, like just just the thing that's you know created space and time still, but uh you know it might be quote unquote more tangible to fight right um but you know like like you said it's definitely a lot better to you know treat deities as sort of a a plot device uh partially a legend partially you know with followers and, and champions to reflect that um so they can definitely spot a lot of the other types for sure uh, if you have, you know, mass followers, that could be a mob even. Um, but to 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 throw in a DD, like you said, unless that's the point, um, it can get really weird because if you could just call upon it at any time, why why adventure? You right. know, why why have a story at all if if the DD could just take care of it themselves? Yeah, and, um, and you also have to think of the implication of if my party is able to kill one god what's keeping them from going around and killing the other gods and then at right. that point what's keeping them from declaring themselves the new gods and oh, right. even if they were originally doing it with quote heroic intentions good intentions at some point you're creating the new bbegs for your next campaign whether you realize it or not yeah, yeah, you're yeah, at, at least the BBG, if not, you know, creating a new pantheon for your next campaign. Correct. Uh, yeah. Of of them being the, the pantheon themselves. So yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so is there any uh, is there ever a time though, like beyond just helping? Uh like, you know, is this a potential, like you said with Tiamat, like being like the end end all be all, like as soon as that's done you resort to resolution and sort of wrap up the campaign uh, or do you just leave them as strictly more story driven devices? The, the only time I can think of that would make sense for a, a deity to show up almost as like a recurring NPC uh, that wasn't super powerful and wasn't too tropey or lean too much into like, I am the all powerful fill in the blank is mm-hmm. almost if you treated them as an avatar and the deity themselves maybe has lost some of their power and they okay. maybe are now a quest giver potentially cool. a gmpc or just like a tag along uh that maybe that's the entire point of the story arc is that you've been tasked by a particular deity to reacquire their power for them so they can ascend back to godhood um but at that point again you're dealing with a weakened version of the deity and so you're probably treating it more like an avatar uh maybe even a a, you know champion level 
at first. Maybe they just are a commoner and then you, they start to acquire abilities that you can kind of create them like a champion um, and give them certain things that can help the allies in combat and you continue to progress that way. But by the time they actually get all of their deific powers, well, it's probably time for them to ascend again and maybe they bestow some sort of legendary boon on the party. But at that point, if you're actually a god, you have god matters to attend to and your focus is not running around with an adventuring party anymore. You've got bigger and better things to deal with. Right. Once you once you've acquired that power, that's, you know, say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so then you can kind of write them off, but then they become a story device, a plot device, and they can leave the party with some sort of like I said abilities or boons, uh maybe magical items as a thank you. Um, but then you move on and the focal point is not on the stat block of a deity or wanting to kill another deity along the way. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Awesome. Um, just a general question for you. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of talked about each of the different types and, you know, when we want to up the, up the ante as, as a, as a champion or just kind of lower a monster that you find in, in the monster uh, book to be, you know, part of a mob. Um, when would you do this versus, you know, just reflavoring? Uh, you know, you and I talked about like, there's not a huge selection of high CR plant based monsters. Um, when do you decide to, uh, pick a lower CR and say, I want to make this stronger or make this a champion versus finding a creature already in the monster manual and say, you know what, instead of it being a, you know, an undead creature, it's going to be a plant base. And so instead of necrotic damage, it's going to be maybe poison or acid damage. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And to some degree, my answer is, por que no los dos? Uh, why, why not both, right? right you could yeah. sometimes take things and reflavor them and it works perfectly. But other times, the more you start to, let me tweak this. Well, that means that I have to tweak this. And then that has to change uh, necrotic damage. Okay, well, now they're not resistant to necrotic damage, which means, and they're also not undead. So they probably actually do need rest or are they plants so they don't need rest what are they resistant to what are they not resistant to does this thing become bludgeoning instead of piercing and at that point you're almost kind of creating your own character anyway um so some sometimes you start to reflavor and you realize you've basically made a brand new thing uh other times it's just a matter of okay well this this uh bandit captain isn't quite working for me because he's only you know a cr1 and all of the bandits that are part of his crew are a cr one quarter well let me take the the orcs and the orc war chief because the orcs are all cr1 i'm i don't know off the top of my head but uh something along those lines and maybe the orc war chief is a cr3 well, those are pretty comparable i can just change the weapon that they use and for the most part it's all going to be the same 
the abilities that they have even kind of stack the multi-attack maybe or if the war chief has a battle fury yell or something like that to embolden his allies okay that makes sense for the for the bandit to have that i basically just slap a different weapon on there slap a different name on the creature and we're done um where things like what you mentioned with the plant okay there are some kind of cool abilities that plants may have written in monster manuals you know you you maybe have one that can engulf and swallow a person whole if it's like a venus flytrap but like on a monster scale well that's really cool i would love to be able to use that type of creature but like one hack from the barbarian at the current level is going to trim it out at the roots and destroy this thing what if i just soup that guy up tripled its hit points and and you know maybe made it from a small plant to a huge plant well now we're talking and now it's just a matter of again we're reflavoring at this point but we're almost reflavoring the numerical content versus the story content that makes so sense. It, it sometimes works for one. Sometimes it works to just do the the other. Uh, and sometimes it's it's good to do both. Maybe we tweak an existing monster and it gives us an idea for a completely different idea. Or maybe we reflavor one or two monsters and then we have to say, okay, this is actually the whole purpose I'm reflavoring because I wanted to have a souped up champion version of this this ogre, you know, that that they want to fight. Um, so there's there's a lot of ways to ap- approach it. So uh, it's it's a good question, and maybe it's probably worth you asking in the moment when you're creating your encounters. Do I want to go through all the work of changing this stuff, or do I want to just reflavor something that exists? Yeah, I think both are valid. Sense. Yeah, awesome. Well, I mean, we we went over the the types, the you know, kind of the purposes for each type. Um, do you have any parting thoughts? I think we were pretty thorough. The one thing that that did occur to me, especially as we were talking about starting another campaign and being able to kind of pick up on some of the things, either a nemesis from a previous campaign or using if you're if your previous party ascended to godhood and became the new pantheon and now you have a wholly different story. The other thing that is kind of fun is to bring up either in passing or have them pop up as quest givers in their own right. Um, Previous PCs from previous campaigns. And the, the best way that I can think of to fit them in is in that legend category, because you don't want to take somebody else's character and have them stat it out, have them get into a fight uh, and potentially die because of crappy GM dice rolls. Um, so, but it's also really cool and players really like seeing some previous characters pop up again. Maybe you can even kind of give them a little nudge and say, Hey, so-and-so is probably going to make an appearance. Uh, here's a little bit of information that they have for the party. Hold on to that. And I'll let you revive that character for the day. Um, but, but we should make it rare and we should make it mean something and we should probably make them work to get it, which all three of those things I think fall under that legend category. Um, maybe it's just, there's a bardic tale that, that speaks of an old 
gnarly adventurer who's seen better days and doesn't like to speak to people too much. And I heard that he, he lives in a tree house that he built years ago out in the forest. Uh, but if he doesn't like the look of you as you're coming, he can shoot you right between the eyes you know, from a thousand paces, something like that. And then people are looking around like, wait, I've heard that description before. Right. And so you want to go find this person. So you can kind of inject a little bit of that. Um, and I know at least our players love when there's a recurring NPC that carries over from campaign to campaign, or they get to revive even in some small facet to revive an old character from an old campaign. So that's worth throwing in there, but I would encourage you to do the legend and focus more on story and, and mythology rather than statted out combat blocks. Yeah. I think there is probably no greater, uh, sense of accomplishment than to have a GM use your, uh, previous character as an NPC in another game. Yeah. Yeah, for Uh, sure. I think that is like the gold sticker that everyone would love, but it doesn't always happen, you know, and and you don't want to shoehorn it. Like you said, Uh, you know, there's a time and a place for these. And if you do it all the time, then there's less appreciation, I think, for it. Right. Uh, Legend is an awesome fit uh, or, you know, they might not even recognize them as just that quest giver that, it's been some time it's been some years you know like it doesn't have to be a right the you know as soon as one campaign ends the next one picks up right at that moment uh and you know you have your you know old character now npc being that one that brings the other group together and yeah those those ones aren't usually stat block you know statted out um and they're asking you to do something be- maybe because they're busy with higher quest things or they're, maybe they're the because- town mayor. Maybe they started the tavern that now the new yeah. party is, is gathering in for the first right. time. There's they, lots they, of ways to tie that they, in. Right. They settled in some fashion uh, or they're busy with other things and however you want to look at it, they don't always have to just be a, a complete legend, but maybe some, uh, you know, one NPC, one of their characters is a legend. The other is, my, you know, doing the doing the tavern where they all meet. You know, you you got a lot of a lot of good options. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's always fun though. I think that is an awesome thing um, for any player. Uh, so if you feel like you know one of your players needs to pick me up, that's a that's an easy an easy go yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that sums it up with some of the NPC types. Uh, do you have anything else? I think that's it. So, so mobs to feel powerful, monsters for normal combat, champions when you want people to Have feel a challenge. Yeah, feel a little more challenge. A nemesis for a long-term rival, uh, a legend if you want um, mythology, and then the the deity if you really need to inject some sort of grand scale. Um, but again, be very careful which of these you decide to stat out because the moment you uh, tell the characters or tell the players that they have stats, they start to calculate how to tactically take them down. So uh, you're you're better off building out uh, personified NPCs, not statted NPCs. I guess that's probably my parting thoughts. Yeah, keep keep the stats a little closer to your chest. Don't even mention that you have them, but 
you know, if you want to be prepared, it's good to have at least something. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, I think that concludes it. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, this has been Dueling GMs. Uh, yeah. If you uh, like what you're hearing so far, we've, this is probably number seven, eight. The way that we're recording is not really the way that we're releasing them. So, um, but if you like what you're hearing so far, uh, leave us a like, leave us a review. Tell us what you'd like to hear more of. We have pages upon pages of topics. Um, and what we've kind of settled into here, if you're willing to, to share, uh, what we kind of settled into here is we want to build out a few topical ideas, describe them a little bit, and then wrap them up with a little workshop. And so we've done that once already with adventure party creation and character creation, and we're working on NPCs and factions. So I think the next thing we may do here very soon is have a little workshop of our own where we're going to build an NPC from scratch and maybe build a faction that they're a part of from scratch and see how that, that works. So you have something to uh, to work with as you're developing your own. Yeah, I think uh, the NPC, you know, what it might look like to be possibly a mob or a champion or something else uh, altogether. Yeah, we uh, can kind of level them up together and and exactly. raise the stakes as we go. All right. Oh, so, that sounds awful. Well, that's, that's the plan. Uh, stay tuned and If all goes according to plan, you'll be seeing that drop soon. Until then, we will see you later. See you.